Good morning, and I apologize. I know it's a little jarring to see my beard after John Anthony's epic beard that we just saw. This is the JV team coming up after the varsity. Also want to say, say thanks to Grant and Philip for leading us in worship today. It reminds me a little bit of the dueling piano bars we used to go to in, in normal times. I've been asking for Piano Man, but they haven't played it for me yet. Uh, but we are starting a, a new series for this month called Encourage, and it's just a reminder to all of us. I think this is something that we do somewhat naturally well, but I want us to continue to think about this is what our calling is as Christians and as a church. And I hope that if you get nothing else out of this series, you hear this, this one line, which I'm going to say every single week, that what makes a conversation Christian is not that two Christians are having it. And you know that's true because you've been part of some Christian conversations that weren't all that Christian. What makes a conversation Christian is that both parties are encouraging each other. Both parties are trying to bring each other more into line with Christ's calling on their lives. And that doesn't always mean that it's just nice and and pleasant and complimentary. Sometimes those conversations are are hard and they take the idea of you saying, I'm worried about you. I have this concern because of what I've been seeing, but like I'm going to encourage you here. I'm going to have this conversation in love. And I think we desperately need to reclaim as Christian people the calling that God gives to all of us to be an encouragement and to lift people up. And at the beginning of this series, every time I want to take communion with you. So if you have your supplies, you can grab those right now. The reason why I want to do that is because I want us to remember that Christianity is about circles and not rows. That it's about people who gather together around a table. And I often try to remind you that it was so table-centric that in Corinthians, as Paul writes to this church that's a little bit in disarray, he reminds them, please don't get drunk at communion anymore. They went a little too far with the celebration and the partying. But in reality, we have gone in a different direction, I think, perhaps just as negatively as well, because we generally think of church as this place that that you go and and you sit in a row and you hear from somebody like me and, and you worship God together. But the thing is, worship isn't just for God. It's for all of us. And I think we've learned that perhaps more than ever during the pandemic, how much we miss singing together, because it's not just for God, though it is for glorifying God. It's also to encourage everyone who's present. And so I hope from this series, from now on, you always think about the fact that we are in circles and not just rows as we gather. So please consider what Christ has done for us all. Christ has been sacrificed for our sins, that your sins, that my sins don't define us anymore because of Christ's sacrifice. Let's pray for communion now. God, we are thankful for this weekly reminder of what you have done for us. We're thankful that you've given us this meal, which is is substantive. We can hold it, we can taste it, we can experience it. Because we need a tangible reminder of what you've done for each and every one of us. Father, we are thankful for the gift of Jesus Christ and that our sins no longer define us. Help us to remember that always. In your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The body and blood of Christ, broken and shed for you.
when we gather together, whether it be virtually online or when we are in person, may you always remember this is the center of our worship experience. Because without it, what we are doing is meaningless. The communion reminds us that we are in this together, and that yes, Christian faith, as is defined by Jesus, is loving God, but it's also loving other people. Sometimes that requires more patience than perhaps we might often have. I think this year about how thankful I am for those in our community who are in education. You've had your world very much turned upside down. I think of Carter's teacher. Carter is uh, our seven-year-old, and he's in first grade. And his teacher, props to Mr. Doyle, who has a very interesting ferret for all the class. He is in his first year of teaching, and he's doing it on Zoom to a room full of first graders. And you deserve extra love for that. And you, Mr. Doyle, get a lot of weird questions from all the class. So props to you for the love that you've shown my son, and props to all of our teachers and those who are in education during an extremely weird time. I saw an article a few years ago that was jokingly saying, this is what a church, or not a church, a school answering machine should say. So you call the school and it goes to the voicemail. And what it should say is, to lie about why your child is absent, press one. To make excuses for why your child did not do his or her work, press two. To complain about what we do, press three. To swear at a staff member, press four. To ask why your child didn't get the information that was included in the newsletter, press five. If you want us to raise your child, press six. If you want to request a new teacher for the third time this year, press seven. To complain about bus transportation, press eight. To complain about school lunches, press nine. If you realize this is the real world and it's not your teacher's fault that your child did not produce much effort, hang up. I think that is uh, props to all of our teachers in, in more normal times. These are the kind of things that you all deal with, that, that you are experiencing all the time. I think that some parents have been especially humbled in this time realizing, hey, it's not the teacher's fault this is, is going on. So props to you. It's so easy for us to stand back at a distance from things that we're seeing and point out perhaps what's wrong with it. It's easy for us to, to be critics, to look back and say, oh, this, this is the issue or that's the problem. But what I think is more important than that is to encourage. How are you lifting up the systems that you see? And yes, there are broken systems in your life. There are things that always need improvement. But how are you choosing to look at what's good and say, I want to build on that? And I want to encourage you as you are building on that. It's one of our great callings as Christians. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. This word, encourage, is written 109 times in the New Testament. Over and over again, Paul and others remind the earliest Christians, like, this is who you're called to be. So encourage each other. When you come together, you're reminding each other of this, this life-altering thing. So please lift each other up. The Holy Spirit, Jesus describes it as an encourager. 
So when you are encouraging someone, when you're looking at them and saying the Spirit of God is in you, I see God's presence in the way that you do this, you are acting like God, like Jesus to somebody. You're bringing light and life to somebody. And we all need it. Following Jesus has moments when it's exhilarating and rewarding and challenging all at once. But following Jesus, Paul writes that it's like a marathon. Sometimes you're in mile 26. You got point one to go, and you need a little love to get to that point. Following Jesus takes people coming around you and, and saying, I, I'm so thankful that you did this for me. Thank you for the ways that you provided for me in this kind of moment. What was your favorite Bernie Sanders meme from the inauguration? You can go ahead and say it on the chat if you want to, whatever you found to be the best. As a pastor, this is maybe the one that I found uh, the funniest uh, Bernie Sanders sitting there at the inauguration, the old guy in church who doesn't like the new hymn. And uh, Philip <laughs> has seen people looking like that at times, and I have too. Like I've seen when I get up to preach and there's somebody who's just doing this, like they ain't having none of it. And I'm, you know, just like trying to do my thing, trying to be a little bit funny, and they are just not feeling it. And I understand that this is very humorous, but it, some of it's, it's troubling to me that this would be so common that it's funny. That, wow, like, that, you, you see somebody like that. And again, it happens when I'm preaching, happens when we're doing worship, and that is just not the posture that we should take. That doesn't mean you have to like every song that you sing. It doesn't mean that you have to like every sermon that I preach. But when we come together, like, we can't just sit like this. We are called to encourage each other, to lift each other up. What you are doing with your presence, it matters. It makes a difference. And you're called not just to think about whatever it is that, that you would like to be getting out of a specific service, but you should show up just thinking, how can I give today? How can I serve somebody? How can I bless someone with a, with a word of encouragement or a word of hope? Because that's what we're called to do. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. When I've heard that verse talked about before, it's usually in a sermon about, like, go to church. Like, you need to go to church. Like, don't give up meeting together. And that is a part of that verse, and it's an important thing. But notice what the message is. It isn't go to church. It's go to church and meet together so that you are encouraging. That's what you're doing. That's what you're supposed to do when you gather together. Like, please go. And it's not just like showing up at the right building for an hour of the week. It is about you showing up and being an encouragement, a source of light, life, and hope. This is one reason why I'm, I'm really thankful to you all as you have stayed active on the chat and stayed connected 
with us as we are doing YouTube services. You guys are doing so well. And I was talking with John Anthony a couple weeks ago about how people are going to miss the chat when we're back together. And we're probably going to keep it going in, in some form because you get to point out weird stuff that I say in my sermon or whatever is going on. And it's just really great to see the way that you all have remained participating and encouraging each other. When someone is there, three or four people say hi to them, and it just it makes a difference, and it matters. So I'm thankful for the ways that you've been able to embrace that, even though we can't experience the same sort of blessings that we would uh, as being in person. But we're thankful that you have done that and that you have remained encouraging because that is what you're called to do. It's not to show up for an hour of the week, just like check it off a box. Hebrews is telling us, go to church so that you're encouraging. Because your brothers and sisters in Christ, they need to hear a word from you. It's not just me that does this. All of us do it. And it's such a blessing when we really experience that, when someone gives us this, this word of encouragement or hope. Perhaps the greatest example of this in the New Testament is a guy that has come to know, that the disciples come to know as Barnabas. So Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37 uh, tells us this. Joseph, who was a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Name changing was a little more common in that time because names were considered to be really, really important. So sometimes there would be name changes that would happen. I've only known of a couple people in my life who've actually like legally gone through the process of changing their name, but it was a little more common in that time. But imagine if you were to be given a new name would it be son of encouragement? Or would it be cynical dude in the back? Or complainer? And what a calling, right? To say this person is such an encouragement that as we give him a new name, we're giving him the name son of encouragement. And that, of course, pours out. It's not just that you say nice things. This scene is dramatic. He's, he's sold basically everything that he has, and he comes and he lays it at the apostles' feet. The early church had major financial problems and issues because it was mostly people who were leaving Judaism to start following Christ. And if you did that, it was an unbelievable step in faith. And oftentimes it would mean that you would lose your status in your community. In fact, as the early Christians are written about by historians and outsiders, they thought it was just a, a new sect of Judaism. They're trying to figure out exactly what this whole group was about. And so you would lose your standing in community, oftentimes lose money and work. And so some of the earliest Christians, like Barnabas, kept this movement alive by saying, I am going to sacrifice all of what I have to continue this. I'm going to give so generously. I'm going to give all that I have because this is what I'm called to be. So to be an encourager is, of course, to, to say nice things, but at some points, it's also saying, I'm going to like follow up and, and act on this. This is so meaningful to me that I'm going to not just speak about it. I'm going to give generously of my time and my effort and as I am part of this community, I'm not looking to be served. I'm not looking to just get things that I prefer or that I like. I am going to just give generously 
Because this is what Jesus has done for me. Barnabas gets a name change. What would your name change be? Seriously, think about that for a minute. What would it look like for you to embrace more of this mindset, to say, I want to be an encourager moving forward? I can't help but think people who have encouraged me in my faith journey and in my preaching. I've talked often and, and before about the church that I served in Opland, Texas, that was 40 minutes outside of Abilene, Texas, where I was in grad school. And I was preaching at that church a couple times. I was told that they needed somebody to fill in for a couple weeks. And so I went out there and preached for this church of about 10 people. And after the second sermon, they said, congratulations, you have the job. And I said, what job? I didn't know there was a job. And they said, you're our preacher now. And I thought, well, uh, that was two of the three sermons that I had on file. So that was kind of like my home run hitter. So I'm going to have to start coming up with some new material if I'm going to make this work. And it was very interesting. Like I've heard preaching when you suddenly have the opportunity to preach uh, that often, like in front of a group of people, it's like learning to play the violin live. Like you're like trying to figure it out. And at that church, I would lead singing and preach. I would like have the songbook and and lead singing for a couple songs and then um, preach. And pretty much it was me during the service. And I'm so thankful to that group of people who just spurred me along and listened to some pretty awful sermons probably. Like I look back at those sermons from time to time. And one specifically I was looking at a couple years ago and I had preached through the book of Amos there and I was going to preach through it here also. And I looked back and I was like, how did any of these sermons last more than five minutes? There just wasn't a whole lot here in these. And I'm so thankful to that group who was so generous and listened to somebody every single week who was trying to learn to preach. One person who was part of that service, like I said, I would sing. This guy, he would pray every single week. It was my friend Doug. Here's a picture of Doug and I at his house with his gigantic armadillo that he was showing me. And Doug would wear a different color jumpsuit to church every single week. And this was likely, we were over at Doug and his wife Ruth's house. They had a really uh, scary chihuahua that they would keep in the car. And we would have pimento cheese sandwiches and sit on their porch in Opland, Texas and, and talk about life. Doug, a few years ago, sadly passed away, but he's somebody who every single week would listen to me as I was learning how to preach. And I'll never forget that. And in the middle of the service, Doug would stand up and he would pray. And his prayer is something that I keep on my desktop still to this day. He would say, Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've told us to come boldly before your throne to make our requests and petitions known unto you. Got a, my mic's making some noise, I guess, the beard. All right, hopefully it's better. But Doug, Doug would pray, our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've told us to come boldly before your throne and make our requests and petitions known to you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for our fellowship. We thank you for food, clothing, and shelter. We thank you that Christ died, according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again on the third day. We ask you that you're with Brian today as he brings this message. Bless him and be with him. Please help him as he is learning to guide your church. We pray, Lord, as we gather around these songs, your word, and your table, that we'll learn more of your mercy 
your grace, compassion, redemption, and forgiveness. Increase our love, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Keep your hand of blessing upon us and keep us back from temptation. Forgive us our many, many sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week, Doug would pray for me. And then after his prayer, I'd set the songbook down and I'd preach. But I think of him or members of our church who've passed away. My heart just swells thinking of the way that those people have blessed me. Getting the opportunity to be here with just a small group of people every week, I get to feel that also because I get to connect with, with Charlie, who has been behind the camera a lot lately and gives me a little bit of love as I am preaching. I'm thankful for the ways that he does that. We have Cameron to my right and Fred doing sound. And I don't want to keep mentioning because I don't want to miss somebody, uh, but I'm so thankful for the blessing of just having a few of us together because it means so much to me every single week. And I wish that all of us could get that experience. We have the opportunity for a few of you to come and experience this in person with us if you'd like to and you're feeling comfortable. But I hope that we never forget as we come out of this time just how much each other's presence means and how we are called to be encouragers. Barnabas is written about in a couple different places. In Acts chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, the scripture tells us this. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived there and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. But Barnabas is asked to go to this church in Antioch and just basically encourage them. And I love that line, that when he sees what the grace of God has done in that place, he can't help but celebrate and encourage them. He sees what they're, they're doing and what they're experiencing and the grace of God that is a center of their life, and he just can't help but be encouraging. I know that when you've experienced our church or, or any church or any organization, there's stuff that frustrates you about that. There's sometimes things that are hard. But I love somebody like Barnabas who comes in and says, I'm going to choose to see what the grace of God has done here. I think of a few years ago, when we as a church decided to make some changes in how we practice worship. For those of you unfamiliar with the Church of Christ denomination, we for many years had practiced singing without instruments. And so we decided as a church to make that change because we feel like God was calling us to worship in a new way. And we had some people who showed up in some of the weeks following that to come and tell us how we were doing something wrong. Some people from other churches of Christ in our area. And I totally understand somebody having some concern and wanting to have a conversation in love about something that they're concerned about. But showing up on a Sunday morning to try and make a scene, that's not it. Like, that's not the way that we are called to be. And it's understandable to have some concerns and have some questions, but if you aren't a part of the community, 
It's not very Christian to show up and just have a problem with something that you don't really know anything about. Think of the way that Barnabas is shown here instead. He shows up and he says, wow, look at how God's grace is affecting these people. Look at the things that God is doing here. I was reading a book on parenting a few years ago, and the guy was talking about the relationship that he had with his dad. And he said that as he thought about his relationship with his father, he wanted to change how he parented his son because the thing that he remembered about his relationship with his dad was his dad always telling him what he was doing wrong. And as a parent, I want to try and and not have that a part of my parenting. And I think that could be true of us in any aspect of life. You don't want to be that parent who's calling the school with that list of things that we already dealt with. You don't want to be the friend who, when you're coming, everybody's like, oh man, can we like try and lift this person up because it's like Debbie Downer's coming over here. You don't want to be the person who just always has something negative to say. To be a Christian, again, it sometimes is to say, all right, we need to work on some things in these areas. That is totally accurate. But for every one of those things, could you try to practice having 99 positive things to say? That would be helpful for first the person who you're trying to give that critique or that comment to. But it's also helpful for you. Because if you're looking for the good and choosing to look for those things, I think it leads to a better life. Something that I've noticed in, in my ministry is that people who are often like very critical and negative about church, it's not just church that they're critical and negative about. We need to have eyes to have gratitude and to see the good in things and in people. And if you are someone who like says those 99 good things and then has the one thing to say, won't it be received much better? Because usually when you talk to me or when you talk to somebody, when you say something, usually it's positive. So when you have something negative to say, I'm probably going to listen a little bit better. We could all be better as we think about the pattern that Barnabas gives us to live into the reality that we should see the good that exists in the world. Maybe we be people who try to do the 99 to 1 ratio where we say, all right, I'm going to try to say 99 good things before I say something negative because that transforms my heart to be in a better place. After Paul has his transformation in Acts chapter 9, he is somebody who has this dramatic encounter with Jesus and it completely changes him. And he then writes a lot of the New Testament after this dramatic encounter. And he has this interaction with this guy named Ananias who ministers to him for a while in Acts chapter 9. And then who does Paul go to next? Acts, 27, Acts 9, 27 says, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, now Paul, had been on his journey, how he had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. I try to think about this moment, how much of Christian history might have been hanging in the balance. Because 
Paul does unbelievable things in the name of Jesus. But previous to this, Acts chapter 9 tells us he had been breathing out murderous threats. He'd been going around trying to stamp out this movement because he was such a God-fearing Jew. He, he wanted to follow God and get rid of these people who were saying all these unbelievable things about the Savior that had come into the world that just weren't true. And so he was so passionate about it. Then he has this encounter with Jesus and it changes everything. But what did he need? He needed some people who could see that change. He needed someone like Barnabas to go with him and vouch for him. And say, this Saul guy now, Paul, he's with me. And because of Barnabas' reputation in the community, they said, all right, if he's with Barnabas, then Paul, welcome to this ministry. So much of Christian history is hanging in the balance of that moment. Paul spread the gospel all over the known world and wrote so many important books that we still read and, and meditate on today. It took someone like Barnabas saying, I'm not going to know him by his worst thing. I'm going to choose to recognize what God is doing in him and I'm going to water some of those seeds and see those things grow. May we choose to see the good in everyone and everything. May we be people who go 99 to 1. And every once in a while, perhaps you have something that God's really put on your heart that you need to say to somebody and say that when you need to in love. But may we be people who encourage as we close our sermon today, I'd like you at home to grab your phone. I don't usually ask you to do this, but you might have been on it anyway. Some of you are like, whoa, he knew. No, it's okay. <laughs> I know. But I'd like for you to just write a text of encouragement to someone in our church. Someone perhaps that, that you miss. Somebody who's been a blessing to you, maybe during covid or previous, just take a moment and write a text to somebody. This is something I hope you do throughout this week. It doesn't have to be just right now and go above and beyond for us. Just send, send it to a bunch of people. Because your words, they make a difference. In the ways that we encourage and build each other up right now, especially in this time, it's just absolutely vital. As we will be concluding the sermons during this week as we think about encouragement in the month of March. I've asked different members of our congregation to come and share about an encourager uh, or a group of encouragers that comes to mind as they think about their church experience. So first up on that is 
Emily Branham. I'm excited for her to share about encouragement that she has received. When Brian asked me to choose somebody that has encouraged me in my life, I got a little overwhelmed because I've had a lot of really amazing people in my life that have lifted me up. And even in, uh, in I could even do a Paul sermon preach past midnight about my family and what they've done for me, especially in the period of time that I'm about to talk about. Um, but for today, I wanted to tell you a story about this church family. Um, since we can't all be together right now, uh, and also for all of you out there that we haven't met yet, we're so excited you found us virtually, uh, but I would, all, I would like to give you some insight of what it's like to be part of this community of believers. We call ourselves a home in LA for a reason. And my story actually takes place, it starts right here in this building, right over there actually. And in case you're wondering, this background that you see is a it's, it's not a fake set for the live stream. It's, it's a very real place to gather for worship. So about three years ago, I went through a full-on anxiety breakdown. This has its own long story, but I'm, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about some people that encouraged me in the middle of it. So a couple of months ago, a couple of months after my initial breakdown, I was still deep in my anxiety and depression. And one Sunday at church, I just wept during the service, and I couldn't stop. And church had ended, and I still couldn't stop. And I was crying for all to see, which really is not how I operate. I'm a very private crier. And the problem was in that moment, I, I literally didn't have the strength or mental energy to get up. And my parents, as amazing as they are, they sat on either side of me, talking me through it. And I believe crying and releasing emotions is a good and healthy thing. But when you're in the depths and dark weight of anxiety, it's incredibly difficult to stop crying. And that isn't a good thing. So as I kept crying in the pew, I noticed a few people in my peripheral vision waiting to talk to me. Cameron Williams who happens to be here today, which I wasn't expecting, um, Corbin Williams and Perry Holt. They could obviously see that I was sad and upset. I was in pain, but they didn't ask me any questions. They just came over to me and gave me a big hug and held me tight for a few seconds. And it meant so much to me. And then, they invited me to lunch. And I was very wet and red-faced and snotty and not gonna be fun to hang out with, but I said yes. And Jamie Howard also joined. And his dad is here, Jamie's not here, but his dad is here. Um, and Jamie, Jamie is another dear friend of mine from this church. So for lunch, we met at Copen Ramen. And, uh, and ramen is one of my favorite meals of all time. And I don't know how we decided upon this for lunch, but it was exactly what I needed. And, but most of all, what I needed the most was good company. And I definitely got it. So at the time that this was happening, uh, the movie Black Panther had just come out. And so Perry and Cameron were raving about how amazing it was. And as they should, because it's really one of the best movies 
of all time. Um, and they kept quoting the scene at the very beginning where King T'Challa gets made fun of for freezing in front of his love interest. And, uh, and King T'Challa responds back, I never freeze. And, and they kept saying it to each other. And then as lunch went on, we would be talking about different things. And then it would just come up again. One of them would say it, I never freeze. I never freeze. And they would go back and forth a couple times saying it. <laughs> And, uh, and when our food came, uh, my order got mixed up with Corbin's. Uh, so he started eating my bowl of ramen, and by the time we realized it was a mix-up, I got my bowl, and he had already eaten my, my soft-boiled egg, which is my favorite part. <laughs> and in the moment, I, I laughed about it, and I still laugh about it now because it just cracks me up. Um, and Jamie, Jamie kept the conversation flowing. Jamie knew... He had gotten some insight about what I had been dealing with before this lunch, but that day I had not told him anything. So he still came to lunch, and in that moment, he knew exactly what I was dealing with. He knew the weight on my heart, and I knew that he knew that I knew that he knew. It's one of those types of things. And uh, with your anxiety, you're, you're great at, if you have anxiety, you're, one of your greatest tools, in, in my opinion, is finding a way to be present. Be in the moment. And it helps your mind stop focusing, dwelling, worrying, fearing, being afraid um, of all the things, conflict, the past, the future, whatever it may be. This helps you center. And so my therapist, in order to do this, taught me uh, the tool to call out the five senses in the moment. What do you hear? What do you see? What do you smell? What do you taste? What do you feel? Cameron, Perry, Corbin, and Jamie did this for me before I knew it was a valuable tool. Uh, and when I look back on this memory, my senses are actually very vivid. So what did I taste? Delicious ramen, my favorite. Um, what did I see? Four brothers in Christ having lunch with me in a time of need. What did I hear? I never freeze. <laughs> Uh, what did I feel? This one is supposed to be, what did I physically feel? Um, and so, I, of course, I felt the, the guy's physical presence with me. Um, but even beyond that, I felt Corbin's calm and gentle spirit. I felt Jamie's comforting, unspoken understanding. I felt joy and laughter because of Perry and Cameron. I felt safe. I felt cared for. I felt brotherly love. I felt encouraged. They helped keep me present by just being present with me. And that's really all it takes. And also just by being their fun and wonderful silly selves and eating my soft boiled egg. <laughs> Suddenly those tears that I couldn't stop that day had completely subsided. Anxiety never really goes away, unfortunately. You just have to learn how to manage it. And when I look back on that kind act of them reaching out to me, it always lifts me up and encourages me when I'm having a tough day. So Cameron, Corbin, Perry, and Jamie, I miss all of you. I'm, ex I'm thankful I get to see Cameron in person today. Um, I miss all of you, I love you, and just wanna say thank you.
you're all Barnabas to me. <laughs> um, so I do want to say a quick prayer for these four gentlemen. I, in normal non-COVID times, I would be putting my arm around Cameron, but I don't know how we can do that. Um, but uh, just doing a quick prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this church family and the amazing encouragers that are here. I know everybody in this church has these same stories. There's really just such amazing people here and just want to thank you, God, for all of them. And thank you for Cameron, Corbin, Perry, and Jamie for coming to me that day and lifting me up and working through them and showing me love and encouragement. And may we all continue to encourage each other and lift us up, even like this morning with a text message, as we have to be more apart from each other than we'd like. Thank you for loving us, Jesus, and it is in your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you so much to Emily. Let's give her props for that. That was, that was an amazing word. Now, now I'm really hungry for ramen, but we're thankful for her. And I echo what she said. You all are, are Barnabases in so many ways. And this is just something that I, as, as a full-time paid staff member, I can't do this on my own. You all have been such a part in helping us to create a home in, in L.A. where people can feel safe and, and loved, and they have the opportunity to, to be vulnerable and then receive the, the gift of love that we have for each other. I hope you have a fantastic week, and I hope that just this week you really think about how you can just text someone or send an email to say thank you to somebody who you've been missing from our church because we all need that sense of encouragement all the time, but especially right now. So please reach out to somebody and tell them that they're loved and that they're missed and start a conversation. Hope you have a fantastic week and that you remember always what Christ has done for you, and that changes everything. Have a great week.